Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Vienna Guest about the top 15 signs to discern the narcissistic abuse victim from the narcissistic abuser. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, we have the return of Vienna. How are you? I'm good. Hello, hello. And Vienna is from our December 20th Survivor Story episode, uh, December 20th, 2020. Which is, it's wow, that's a, a, a long time ago. It's pretty crazy. And you have also been on a, a guest on one of our most popular episodes, which is the Top 50 Verbal Manipulations. You've also been on an episode where we discussed the Dark Night of the Soul. And you have been a co-host on an episode where we talked to Mark Vicente as well. We talked about cults and the cult that he was involved with, which was Anexium. And you were awesome on that episode. So, Vienna, thank you for being here. And today we are going to discuss the narcissist playing the victim and the narcissist who's actually the victim. And I just want to say right now, before we continue on, that this is not for second-guessing a victim of abuse. This is for if there's confusion between two parties and which of the two parties might be telling the truth and not telling the truth. It's how to do our best to distinguish of what's really going on between two different parties. So if someone is saying that they are abused, please do believe them. And also when it comes to this show, there are some uh, points that we bring up that are very nuanced. So it might not be... Um, uh, applicable to every little situation and we do our best to explain the nuances of them. So if they are uh, possibly a little confusing for everyone, we apologize, but there are some nuances to some of these uh, topics that we are discussing today. And a lot of them are, are hard to uh, distinguish. And we're going to do our, our best job so you can see what we've seen as well. 
And this list is a top 15 list. Look at it more as a checklist and not look at individual things and start looking at everything here as a whole. So we're trying to look for as many of the top 15 things. So uh, try not to get offended if you fall into one or two or three or four of these things that you might be doing because PTSD might play a role in all these little individual things. But uh, we're going to be looking at things here uh, as a uh, a whole to make the distinction between um, survivors and, and people imitating survivors, the abuser who is imitating the victim. And now, before we get started on the first one on our list, because we have a bunch on our list here, let's start off with a little bit of a backstory. Well, sh- sure. Yeah, the, the reason why this list even exists in the first place is because as brutal and horrific as my marriage to somebody who was diagnosed with a cluster B disorder was, the aftermath was next level. This dude launched a smear campaign against me that I eventually came to find out was actually, had begun like way before the relationship was even over and it extended far and wide. And I'd even guessed that it was probably still happening now, but who knows? So. As I began to educate myself on what to do about it, I found a lot of nothing. I read things like, if you respond or participate, you will look crazy, so don't even bother. But anyone who knows me, and like you know, I'm not somebody who's just going to sit back while somebody tries to burn my metaphorical house down, especially when they tried to burn my literal house down at one point. (laughs) So I started making this list of telltale behaviors that can help anyone discern who the real victim of abuse is versus the person who's playing the victim. And I actually, I initially started making this for my divorce lawyer because she would say things like, well, that could go either way or, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I would, I would, I'd be pulling my hair out. Like, how do you not see the obvious and and the thing is is like it's it's not obvious all the time but hopefully this list will help not just lawyers but friends and family members who have been kind of like pulled into the met, the middle or triangulated um or at least help somebody who is a victim of abuse maybe explain to others the difference and how it's, you know, whatever you need it for anyways. So um, we'll start with the first one. Okay, the first thing, if you're on the outside looking in to discern who is who, the victim or the narcissist, is just to listen, like really listen when someone tells you their stories or their examples of what happened over the course of the relationship. The victim will give specific events with staggering details. The best example of this is the podcast. Each episode is nearly two hours for good reason. There's a lot of details that go into it that really paint you a picture. As opposed to the narcissist who will give large sweeping short accounts void of details, like lots of broad strokes. And there's a million examples of this. Um, you know, like, like 
it was 11 o'clock at night. I just got home from work. So you've got the detail of what time it is. You've got the detail of like what's going on. And he was really angry because I was late. He began yelling at me and threw all of my things out of the house. He pushed me out, slammed the door and locked it behind me. Like that would be a, you know, a pretty detailed account of one specific thing. Whereas a narcissist would just say something like, they're just so abusive. I don't really want to talk about it or it's too painful to bring up. So I'll just leave it at that. And the thing is, is, is that narcissists are, are not creative people in general. They're, they're running on autopilot, like by the definition of what, you know, having narcissistic personality disorder is, and it's really difficult for them to ad lib. So even if you do say something like, can you give me some more details? Um, you should pay attention to the wording, which brings us to number so two. So before we get to number two, let me just say that for people with PTSD uh, or, or, or trauma issues who have uh, memory issues, this one isn't about you. We're looking at everything here as a whole. Uh, it's not just one of these little things someone's supposed to look for all of these things are almost all of these things. So again, if you have PTSD, this isn't about you. And there is a difference when you're looking at the whole entire uh, scope of things. And now, uh, Vienna, let's do number two. So number two is to pay attention to the wording. The narcissist, <laughs> I don't know how to explain this exactly. I guess it's, um, they use a lot of adverbs if that makes sense. So they'll say things like, oh, well, they apparently, or I suppose, or perhaps they thought, or I guess they probably believe. Does that paint you a picture of what I'm trying to get across? Well, for me, when you use these words, it's a lot of insinuation. It's a lot of assumption thinking, and it's a lot of putting words thoughts, uh, beliefs into someone else's frame, and it's not presenting a fact of reality in that sense. It's leaving a lot, it's leaving a lot of space around whatever they're talking about. Another, uh, another good example of this would be is, um, word salad is basically it. So um, I remember getting an email from my ex-husband's lawyer that <laughs> copy and paste or just like forwarded his, an email from him or something. And he, he was using double negatives in this way that was like so confusing to explain something. And he would say stuff like, um, I never didn't intentionally not pay the bill. And it's like, what did you just say? Did you pay the bill or not? You know, it's just these kinds of things. So next on the list, we have look to the past. Yeah, a victim has a history of stability in relationships for the most part. You know, it's like not everyone has to be great, but, you know, they can maintain pleasantries at the at the least with some or most of their ex-partners, whereas the narcissist has a history of instability in their relationships and make 
claims of abuse in, in most of them, if not all of them. My ex, when I first met him, I remember, was telling me about how the two girlfriends before me were both abusive. And I was just like, wow, the luck of the draw, you get two back to back and like, you know, not for nothing, but he's a, a bigger guy. He's six feet tall. And these two women were both of South Asian descent. And I myself am, you know, tiny. <laughs> they were smaller than I was. And I was like, wow, this, this big guy got, got beat up by two little girls. That's crazy. And it's not crazy. It's just a lie. <laughs> So this one isn't 100% for everyone because there is this small percentage of people out there who grew up in uh, abusive households who then went from abusive relationship to abusive relationship to abusive relationship. So there is that small segment out there. So this one uh, isn't 100%. Uh, percent. And again, just like as we stated before, please look at everything as a whole and not just uh, one uh, thing. All right. Up next, we have PTSD. Yeah, and we all know what symptoms of PTSD look like. You know, you're jumpy, you're easily frightened, you have flashbacks, nightmares, these types of things. Narcissists all the time, especially if they start reading up on their own condition that they presume you know, that they're trying to convince other people that you have. Um, they will pretty quickly make claims that they are the ones with PTSD. But the way to tell the difference is you just look for the person who has the signs because a narcissist will say it, but there's no signs there. And they actually don't even go far enough like into the research to really discern what those signs are. So to explain a little bit further, I think, on this one is that um, when looking at things as a whole, that if you're to look at PTSD, you have some people who have PTSD that show no signs or outwardly signs that you would know of. And then you have people that actually exhibit signs that you can physically see. And that would be a uh, survivor. Uh, they can go one of those two ways. Whereas someone who is uh, a narcissistic abuser who says they have PTSD, they won't be able to show signs uh, at all of the outwardly ones. Um, so when you're looking at things as a whole, uh, yes, someone with PTSD might not show any signs as well as someone who has, uh, who is the actual abuser will not show any signs. But when you're looking at things as a whole, this is just one of those things as well to look at uh, when you um, are trying to discern who is who in, in this case. So it's not, again, it's not just one thing here. We're looking at things as a whole. And for you, Vienna, what were some of the signs that, um, you had um from your experience oh that i still have <laughs> i still have a little residue the difference now is that i it's it's funny when it comes up as opposed to you know devastating <laughs> but the easily frightened thing and the jumpiness is the main one especially and i don't really know why this is but especially late at night i will jolt myself out of sleep terrified thinking that there's somebody in the house um i had a lot of nightmares 
and I had, I actually, I, I had um, a little bit of agoraphobia, but it was also at the beginning of lockdown. So <laughs> it's hard to say what was what, but yeah, I, I was like, I wasn't afraid to leave the house, but I just really didn't ever want to. And up next, we have the flip. Yeah, this is kind of, this is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde inconsistent personality thing. So similarly to how a victim has a history of stability in relationships, this one is more like the victim of abuse might seem unstable, but if you look to the past, um, they have a history of stability, <laughs> stable and consistent emotional reactions over time. You got to look for the patterns. What are the patterns? It's the things that happen over time. Whereas if you know the narcissist or if you spend any time with the narcissist, they have a history of instability, mood swings, jumping from job to job, relationship to relationship. They are have that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality with the inconsistent reactions that provoke a change in mood rapidly. And you were the person who brought this up that what I now mention all the time on the show, which is patterns. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And as we discussed earlier, it's been a while that I said on the show, did you see any red flags? And you said a red flag isn't a red flag until it becomes a pattern. And from then on, how I talk to people has changed and the discussion of all of those things have changed when it comes to red flags. I don't really ask about red flags anymore. It's more of like, what are the patterns that you're seeing? And I could go, you know, back and name this podcast. I'd probably call it patterns of abuse if I could, but most people search uh, narcissist. And when you're talking about this stuff, you start looking for patterns. Obviously, one-offs will happen, but when you, know, when you keep track of these things and you start to see the patterns that are forming and you just keep an open mind about what's going on, you know, if you're going into new relationships or getting into something with new friends or someone who's in this type of relationship, you start to notice the patterns yourself as well. And you just have to keep tra track. Even if you're a friend of someone, you know, you keep track for that friend if they're not doing it themselves. Exactly. And now, up next, who flees the scene of the crime? Yeah, and this is not to be confused with a victim fleeing for their life or going to a shelter, these kinds of things. That's not what this is about. This is about, at the end of the day, after the discard, who holds on to the children, the pets, the house, anything stable? And who abandons the children, the pets, the house, and says something like, I just had to get free to save myself. Or I was willing to give up everything just to get away. That's not, that's not fleeing a bad relationship. That's fleeing the scene of a crime. And up next, 
we have restraining order. Yeah, my ex would tell everybody that he had a restraining order against me, which was not true. <laughs> and I just can't imagine if if anyone had ever asked him to see it because he didn't have one. So if somebody's telling you that they have a restraining order, just ask to see it. Because if you really do have a restraining order and you are afraid of somebody else, you have a copy at work, you have a copy at home, you have a copy in the car, you have a copy filed with the police department, you don't have any any trouble producing it, is what I'm saying. And if you are too afraid to ask, you can always go to the county or the state or whatever place actually holds these orders, and you can go there uh, to ask and see it. And they have to produce it because it is in the public domain. Yeah, it's part of the Freedom of Information Act. Even if you live in a state like I do, that doesn't make this information public for you to find online. A lot of states do. I know that Texas does. Um, but if you happen to live in a state that makes it really hard to figure out who's out there lurking around, you can go to your county clerk's office and request it, and they have to show you. And next up, we have empathy. You know, there's obviously going to be some bad, hurt feelings involved in any disillusion of a relationship, but in general, and over time, these patterns again, a victim will at some point at least have empathized with the narcissist and, and want good things for them and have a history of being helpful to them, where a narcissist very quick, quickly will say things like, I just want them to suffer like they've made me suffer, or they, you know, they seek, they want revenge, and they have a history of abandoning the victim in their times of need. A narcissist will literally seethe with hatred and say things like they deserve to suffer or I hope they get what they deserve. And yes, I have definitely said these things <laughs> once or twice. Um, but all in all, there's not a history of it. So just to explain this one a little bit further, you know, here we're really looking for uh, a pattern because there are a lot of people who uh, go through these relationships and uh, say these things about their ex that they, you know, want revenge or they want these things, uh, terrible things possibly to happen to them and that they deserve uh, those things. But for the most part, when you look at the, the history here, what you're looking for to discern someone from uh, having no empathy and, and then uh, being being the victim is if you're if the looking at the outside of the situation, this person who is the actual abuser will have a history of this type of behavior and this type of uh, revenge uh, attitude or vindictiveness. And it's not just within this uh, relationship that you're going to be looking for this type of uh, vocabulary uh, and, and, and language. All right. Up next, we have divorce etiquette. Yeah, this might be one of the ones that isn't 100% across the board because people deal with grief differently, but a narcissist probably 100% of the times we can say wants to destroy the victim. 
during a divorce. They don't compromise, they refuse to negotiate, and after barely contributing during the relationship, <laughs> they don't want to give anything after the relationship. And they, um, they unnecessarily prolong proceedings. They um, don't send stuff in on time, they get extensions a lot, they uh, try to run the other side's bill up by you know, contacting the lawyer for these like little minor things. And at this point in the game, for the most part, uh, a victim just wants an equitable settlement. They don't want to be screwed, but they're not asking for everything. And they just want to get it over with. But again, this one's a little bit nuanced. But it's also one that if people listen to our survivor story episodes that people in divorce situations have to deal with all the time. And up next, we have therapy and self-help. Um, a, a victim will, will learn a lot about what's going on and um, use it in their situation to empower and educate others. Like they really, they want to come on the show to help other people. Whereas a narcissist will gather any information that they're gathering and they, they want to use it to excuse responsibility and to garner sympathy from others. Like you'll find uh, victims in support groups, private online communities, subscribing to podcasts, purchasing literature, going to therapy, self-help books, on and on, where a narcissist will do like, just enough research to weaponize their knowledge. And up next, we have defining the other, the definition of verbal abuse. Right. So you will hear, and this is something that you just kind of have to train your ears to listen for. You will hear a victim describing behavior, not necessarily the person. They will say things like, uh, I was being gaslit or he was gaslighting me or they were gaslighting me or um, they were projecting onto me. And you'll hear a narcissist say the same thing, but it won't be a description of behavior. It will be a definition of the person. It will be labeling the person instead of the situation. They were such a B. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, if somebody's willing to be verbally abusive when describing somebody else, you can almost guarantee that they've been verbally abusive to that person. And once again, that last one might not be 100% uh, percent for everyone, but we're uh, seeing everything as a whole uh, with all of these things that we've been discussing uh, today. And up next, we have Crocodile Tears. Yeah, this is another one of the nuanced ones. Um, because people deal with grief differently. Uh, the victim in general will, you know, cry a lot. <laughs> in public, at work, there's this really... I don't want to say great video because it's not good at all, but one of the um, videos of Gabby Petito, for example, 
is she's like sitting in a car and she looks just absolutely hysterical. And the boyfriend looks cool as a cucumber. And they're out in public. And the way that a narcissist will spin that is that, you know, like she's just crazy. She's just hysterical. She's just lost her mind. I, I'm just trying to calm her down. And the calm person looks to be the sane person. But in reality, not a lot of people want to be out in public with tears strolling down their face. It's not a comfortable way to be. So instead of victimizing somebody who looks like they're in emotional distress, maybe just take into consideration how difficult that is for a lot of people. Um, whereas the narcissist, you know, they never shed a tear. <laughs> and if they do, they're crocodile tears. You can look at the face, look at their face. If you can see their face, look at their face. They, they might sound like they're crying. They might be pretending like they're crying, but like, do they have tears coming out of their eyes? And this one is very nuanced just to remind everyone. Right. Right. Because, you know, a lot of people numb out also. They don't, they, they just go numb and that's valid. Yes. And something I've experienced before in, you know, in experience of the crocodile tears and the flip, not the click, the flip. And you're getting someone who seems like they are crying and then the flip happens. And it's hard to explain uh, what that means. It's a real nuance. And, uh, you know, some of you might understand what that actually is because you've experienced it yourself. It's really difficult to translate into words. Uh, you know, when it happened to me, it was fascinating how it happened. It went from crocodile tears in a split second moment where I'm like, everyone, and when I say that, I, I kind of just looked up in the air and was like, whoa, like did that moment just happen? And it was like, I was talking to two totally different people. I think maybe that's the best way to describe what happened. It was just such an instant where my body and everything just reacted to it. And I backed away physically. I guess that's the best way I can explain the nuance of it. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like boo hoo hoo. I'm so sad. All these things happened. And then at the drop of a dime, they are suddenly angry or laughing inappropriately. Most people don't have emotions that they can turn on and off at such a quick speed. And up next, we have black and white thinking. Right. So uh, if you don't know what black and white thinking is, it is when it is all or nothing, essentially. Uh, when somebody says like, you always, or you never, or this always happens to me, or I've never not had this, you know, it's, it's one or the other, basically. There's nothing in between. So when a victim relays accounts of abuse, they speak from firsthand experience. They speak in the first person. They begin sentences with I. They refer to their abuser as he or she, or they use the name. 
um, which is what you hear on the podcast. You get a sense of who the person is that's speaking because they are assigning things to people. And it's because they are verbalizing a memory. They are telling a story because they are putting words to something that's inside of their head. Whereas a narcissist will like, use a lot of technical jargon and keyword stuff their sentences, but there will be not they, they won't be associating those keywords with specific events or specific people. And you can really pick up on this with um, they will use the word they a lot. Um, they'll say something like, you know, these people, they always triangulate or these types of people, they, you know, blah, 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 instead of saying I was triangulated. When you hear a narcissist speak like this, you almost get the sense that they're trying to convince themselves and other people. So it's almost like when you hear a narcissist tell you a story, it's, it's not a story at all. It's almost like a lecture, like they're trying to educate you so you will believe them. Yeah, and I guess it's a form of shifting responsibility, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. And again, right here, uh, people with PTSD might have a little bit of a different experience. And uh, once again, uh, look at everything here as a whole and not just one thing. And up next, we have who has morals here, or as you put it, who has morals here? <laughs> Who has the morals here? <laughs> you'll you'll notice the victim will uh, show a distaste for poor behaviors in general of others and empathize in general with others. Whereas a narcissist, uh, if if you pay attention, they identify with the poor behaviors of others. Like they'll say things like, "Yeah, well, I can see how they just lost their cool and killed their whole family." A man can only take so much. <laughs> and if you step back from that, you're like, wait, what? You, you, you can you can see how that's okay. They don't have empathy or if it's, it's empathy for themselves. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And up next, our last one, responsibility. Right. Um, a victim will accept responsibility for the role that they played. And, and oftentimes, honestly, uh, the role that other people have played, they'll take responsibility for the behavior of their abuser. And, um, you know, a narcissist just can't take responsibility. If they do, it's followed by a, an, an and but, right? They'll say like, yeah, I did that, but... Uh, they made me do it is also a big one. Or I only did it because. I think this is a really good one to end off with because it's really the beginning of someone's healing process. And, you know, when someone is healing, they are truly doing the work. There's a point where 
for someone to never have this happen again, you want to make sure that your boundaries and your values and everything that's going on, that the work you're doing, the needed work to be done is being done. It's not just a lot of time. You know, a lot of the time when you're starting the healing process, you're looking at the other person that you dealt with and you, and you, as everyone does, they learn about the ins and outs of what a narcissist or what an abuser does. But then at a certain post, po- point, most people then start kind of going inward in what they're dealing with, how they react to things. How did they get themselves into this situation in the sense of, what did they let slide? What triggers were hit inside me? How did they get me to do this? And it's all to try and build a better boundaries, to build a better defense. So, you know, you're trying to figure out what went wrong so it doesn't happen again. And it's a responsibility in the sense of going forward that if someone was to click your buttons and go after your vulnerabilities, Uh, to use something at your advantage, that these things won't work on you in the same way, or you'll be able to better detect things, see uh, patterns form, or understand that these things are happening and how they're trying to be used against you. You're just more of a detective in a lot of the ways, and a detective into who you are is being a detective to someone else at the same time, if that makes sense. So you're just trying to nip these things in the bud quicker, and we might not always be successful at doing these things because sometimes we get we do get swept up a second or a third time just because these patterns sometimes they switch things up so sometimes it looks a little bit difficult but someone is doing the work here and that's part of the responsibility aspect is doing the work and trying to do your best to get better right well you know what you're describing here is healing codependency Healing your codependency, basically, it, it, essentially, just in a nutshell, is bringing the focus back to the self. Codependency is when you have an, a, an intense focus on the other and, and your self-forgetting. So that's it's just bringing the attention back to the self and not taking responsibility for other people, but taking responsibility for you. And one day, hopefully soon, we will do a really in-depth uh, episode on codependency and inverted narcissism. So that's it. Thank you, Vienna. Thank you very much for being here with us today and sharing all your knowledge once again. And it was just a really helpful episode for everyone to hear, sharing all your knowledge once again. So thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for being here with me and people can find you at wordsalad.cora.com. They can also find you on Instagram at Astro Investigator for people that have listened to our episode, The Dark Night of the Soul. They know that you do natal charts, you do birth charts and astrology for people as well. You're not just in this field, the narcissistic abuse. You want to help people see things they might not be seeing and help people move forward with what's going on in their lives as well and help them heal uh, with that process as well. So you can be found on Instagram at Astro Investigator and you can be 
a message there. People can direct message you there. And I will also put all this stuff in the show notes. And before we end off the show, I just want to say to those people that want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, you can go to NarcissistApocalypse.com at the top of the page. There is a button that says guest form. And when you click on that button, it'll take you to our guest form page. And there, there are a lot of instructions. Please do read the instructions and you can either send us a note through our guest form or you can email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and send us all your notes to be a guest on our Survivor Story episode. And as well, I want to thank... Uh, the people at domesticshelters.org for being such a great resource for people. So if you need extra support, everyone, you can go to domesticshelters.org. They have articles, they have resources. You can look up shelters there as well. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And another resource we have is our very own support group, which you can be found, which can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. We have forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday. It's on Saturday nights and Thursday afternoons. We also have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support the show, just sign up to our support group and that will do it. So thank you very much for doing that. And now I just want to say thank you once again to Vienna. And from both of us, we hope you have a good night.